Well, happy Gaudete Sunday, everyone. Gaudete Sunday is the third Sunday of Advent, and Gaudete means to rejoice. So this is Rejoice Sunday. And uh, the church gives us an option on Rejoice Sunday to wear rose, not pink, <laughs> rose vestments. And the idea is that the purple is a penitential co color, a color of sorrow, it's symbolic. And then on Gaudete Sunday, when Christmas is near, that penance, a penitential spirit, and that spirit of sorrow is lightened a bit. It's brightened a bit by joy. And for some reason, I'm not questioning the church here, but for some reason, that ends up rose, okay? And so, um, rose not pink, remember that? And I look forward to your best rose joke after Mass. I've heard them all, so come with something original, okay? <laughs> uh, everyone, today, Gaudete Sunday, the gospel gives us uh, a really rich, a really rich gospel full of interesting Bible stuff, allusions to Old Testament passages and how they're fulfilled in Jesus. But the main thing that I want to speak about to you this morning is about the interaction between Jesus and John, the interaction between Jesus and John in the gospel. John sends a question to Jesus this morning, a weighty question. He asks him, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Are you the one who is to come, meaning the Messiah, the Christ, or should we look for another one? John's whole life and his entirety, entire identity is wrapped up in this question. John's ministry the main message of his preaching, his God-given vocation has all been about the Messiah, the Christ, and pointing and talking about the Christ. And so all of that hinges on what Jesus says, if he is in fact the Messiah, if he is in fact the Christ. His God-given vocation, his whole, his whole life depends on Jesus' answer. And it seems that John even has to ask the question because originally he thought Jesus was for sure the one, but now he's starting to have some doubts, it would seem. He's starting to have some doubts, it would seem, about Jesus, and that's why he has to ask. Note the words at the beginning of the gospel this morning. When John the Baptist heard about Jesus and his works while he was in prison, John's witnessing to Jesus and his pointing to Jesus had landed him in prison with his life threatened, could be killed any day by Herod. That's where witnessing the Jesus led him. Ouch. Not what he was expecting. At that time, everyone, it was common, it was common for those who were looking for the Messiah, for the Christ, to be expecting a sort of military leader. Maybe that had affected John. Maybe John expected some sort of earthly victory, some sort of military victory over Herod and others who had opposed him. And maybe that's the source now of John's doubts. He expected victory, not prison, when he started following Jesus. But whatever it was, whatever it was that John was expecting, it's clear that Jesus was not fulfilling those expectations. It's clear that whatever John was expecting, it seemed to John 
It seemed that, it seemed like, Jesus was not fulfilling those expectations. What an important place this is for the soul, everyone. It's an incredibly important place for the soul. And it's an experience I don't think is, that is foreign to any of us Christians. When Jesus doesn't seem, when it doesn't seem like God the Father, when Jesus is fulfilling our expectations. How do we respond to that? It's an important choice. It's an experience we all have. How do we respond to it? How should we respond? Before I answer that, I want to give one more example where Jesus doesn't seem to fulfill expectations. It's the very thing we're all preparing for and getting excited for this Advent, and it's Christmas. At Christmas, Jesus did not seem to fulfill the expectations of the first people who are looking for the Messiah, for the Christ. Everyone in the early church, an early, early, early objection to Jesus and to the gospel was the scandal, was the improbability that the Most High, all-powerful, all-knowing Son of God could take the form of a little human child. That wasn't a source of joy to the first people who heard it. It was a scandal. It was an improbability. The humility of being asked to worship what seems like this little child. And that's it. The humility of being asked to worship what seems like a little child. That didn't fulfill expectations at first. It was a scandal. But over time, Christmas has been shown to have exceeded wildly exceeded expectations, and actually fulfilled even gone beyond whatever humanity could hope for itself, what God would do for us, and has become the greatest source of joy and fulfillment. So Jesus, when he responds to John, asks John to adjust his expectations a bit. Jesus asked John to adjust his expectations according to who God is, who Jesus is, not to make God fit in his little box, but let trust in God, trust in Jesus, teach him about God and form his expectations. Jesus asked John to adjust his expectations, yes. Jesus asked John to adjust his expectations, but not, but not in any way does Jesus ask John to lower his hope. Jesus doesn't ask John to adjust his hope one iota or to hope less. Jesus' answer to John makes clear the fact that I am the Christ. I am the one you're hoping for. I am the fulfillment of your hope. He makes that totally clear to John. And he makes clear to John that what he hopes for most from God the deepest part of his soul, what he hopes for, is being fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus is teaching John in the midst of his imprisonment and in the midst of his suffering to detach from his expectations a bit, to be open to learning about who God is and how grace works and how Jesus works. But he isn't being asked to lower his hope. In fact, John's hope has to expand and get bigger.
so that he can receive what, what God wants to give. What an important lesson for us all. What an important lesson for us all as we prepare for, Christian, for Christmas. The lesson is, everyone, to hope big. Or maybe as our president would say, to hope bigly. As big as you can imagine. But at the same time, even as you hope, as big as you can imagine, even bigger, to be open to being taught by Jesus. To be open to being taught by Jesus and about grace and about himself. Sometimes our expectations of how Jesus should work in prayer, our expectations of how Jesus should address our suffering, our expectations of how Jesus should work in our lives, gets in the way of how Jesus is actually, in fact, working. How his grace is actually, in fact, active. And how Jesus is how actually, in fact, saving us. A little practice that I like that uh, addresses this and helps with this a bit is what I call the whatever prayer. Very uh, creatively named. I named it. Thank you. <laughs> it'll, it'll, you'll remember it anyway, I hope. But the whatever prayer, wherever we experience suffering or wherever we experience disappointment or discouragement in our life of prayer or in suffering, you just simply say this, Jesus, I hope in you. Whatever you want to do here in this suffering, whatever you want to do here in this discouragement, whatever way you want to work, whatever good you want to do here, I give you permission. I give you permission to work how you want, and I hope in you. Whatever you want to do, whatever good you want to do here, I give you permission. Praying like that can be extremely powerful, and praying like that takes courage, but it's extremely fruitful because it gives Jesus room to work, and it can give Jesus an opportunity to exceed our expectations and to fulfill our hope. It does ask for us to adjust expectations a bit, a bit, but in no way does it ask us to lessen our hope or to lower our hope. To the contrary, it gives Jesus a place to fulfill our hope and exceed our expectations, just as Jesus did for John.